Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast where we talk about being invested in your money in a certain kind of special way that I'm trying to teach Danielle, that I'm trying to teach my daughter Danielle. Um, we talk about how being invested in your money makes you feel more invested in other areas of your life, in preparing for your future, in knowing more about what the world around us is doing, in being aware of what values our money is supporting. That's the stuff that's making this matter to me. Which is kind of key, because I'm trying to get her to do it, you know? Like, <laughs> all right, you gotta, you gotta do it. And the basic problem that we're facing in this podcast, and we just want to reiterate what, what's the issue, is that for most people, um, they will never make enough money in their lifetime and save enough money in their lifetime to be able to be confident that you're going to have a good 30 years of retirement living on what you've accumulated. It's just a number that's so vast and so far beyond what most people can even think about saving up um, using standard investing techniques of maybe four or five percent or seven percent, maybe in a great in a great decade. Um, yeah, you just can't get there. You can't. I mean, I mean, it right? used to be if you work for the same company for 40 years and you get a gold watch and you retire and you knew that you would be taken care of with your pension. Those days are gone. And there are a lot of good things about that. There's a lot of new competition. There's a lot of ability to move around in your own career. But the bad things are there's no certainty about the future. Yeah, and, and believe me that back in those days, back when I was a little kid after World War II, my dad was in a you know a long-term position with a company that was gonna gonna give him a a pension, and his father had lived on that pension, but his father managed to live one year on that pension. Like my grandfather, that my grandfather died at age sixty-six, which oh. believe me, if you well, can that's, get that's the gamble the company makes, right? And like, it, yeah. Sure. And if the company back in the 30s did their, their, their statistical actuarial tables on the life expectancy of a 65-year-old male, they'd find out that he's probably expected to live to be 66. Yeah. So they had this pension that they were going to have to deliver for one year, right? You know, it's a really good point. We all are living so much longer than we used to. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about Social Security. It was, again, designed basically with the idea that the lifespan of a of a 65-year-old male was about one year. And, yeah. You know, he'd lived to be 66, just meant, so. Just meant to get you to death. Yeah, it was meant to get you across that year, right? And that was pretty easy to do. Um, particularly when you could, your basic stuff of life, back in the 1940s, 1950s, even the 1960s, your basic things, you know, rent or purchasing a home. I mean, after World War II, my mom and dad, your grandparents, bought a home for $5,000, okay? Now, that doesn't mean anything one way or another until you check it against income. So this is, this is a guy who's just in his 20s. He's starting off as a bookkeeper. He's not making much money. Let's say today he'd be making 35000 He was making $5,000. He could buy a house in Portland, Oregon in a nice neighborhood with good schools. Not a big house, but a new house. He could buy that thing for $5,000 one year. Did you say he was making $35,000 a year? No, he was making $5,000 a year. Oh, oh but, okay. But that, that income was the equivalent today of $35,000, let us say. Got it, got it, got it. So, you so have you're to saying ask he your... could buy a house 
for the amount he made in one year. Yeah. You buy a house outright. Outright. And, and let's tick off the things. It's not just a house. It's a new house. It's a new house in a nice neighborhood with no crime and good schools. All right. So where are you going to get that for $35,000 today? I mean, imagine no. going to Portland, Oregon That's and trying to find a house in a really nice neighborhood with really good schools, brand new home, $35,000. You're going to be waiting a while. So the, the basic cost of, of life has grown dramatically faster in some respects than, than our incomes have, you know, yeah, absolutely. which it, it contributes to the difficulty of getting somebody through not just one year of retirement, but, oh, okay, let's live 30 years or 20 years of retirement. So we have a huge, huge problem in terms of the, the deficit uh, in the budget of our government to be able to pay for this for, for millions and millions of people. And you might just think it ain't going to happen, which is probably probably correct. The, the only way that they're going to be able to solve this problem of excess debt is to simply print money and keep printing it until the value of the dollar is so low that you know, they can achieve you know, the, the levels of Social Security payments that they're expected to make. You know? Well, this is what we're working on, right? Is to know how to handle this situation. It is. We're all in this in this crappy boat together. Yeah. How do we how do we row the boat to somewhere that's a little bit better, that's a little bit safer, that's a little bit more certain? Yeah, I, I agree. And talking about valuation to figure out how to get there, because that's the part that to me is um, I want to say impenetrable, but I guess we've been sort of lifting the veil a little bit. We have. So I guess I can't say it's quite as impenetrable as it used to. Um, but it's, you know, I'm still working on it for sure. Well, I thought I'd, I'd try to give you a bit of a checklist today. A checklist? Yeah, about how do you determine basically what the value of a business is and whether or not it's on sale. How would you do that? Isn't that exactly what we've been doing with the valuation methods that we've been talking about? It is. But I thought I would do a checklist. And a checklist is something really valuable. I, I, I'd love it if you, you know, your, your little sister sent me a book um, for my birthday by a guy named Atul Gawande. I hope I'm saying his name right. Yeah, it's it's a great spelled G-A-W-A-N-D-E. And he's a, he's a, a doctor at uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital and at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And he's written a couple of books and he wrote one called, um, um, called, oh, what is it? It's the Checklist Manifesto, I think is the name of the book. The Checklist Manifesto, How to Get Things Right by Atul, A-T-U-L, Gawande. Uh, this, now this, this, now this Sounds was, like you're reading it. No, I'm I not. Think you but are. I just looked it up while I was talking. <laughs> And, but here's why I wanted you to, to, to have a checklist. It's, it's basically, what they found out in surgery um, is that having a simple checklist of obvious things like make sure you have enough blood. You know, did you wash your hands? This, yeah, which this kind of leg stuff. are you operating on? Yeah. And, yeah. and you'd think these guys would, would get it right. But it turns out um, that they often get the most simple things wrong. And so they decided to try to bring into the surgery centers what they've had in the cockpits of jet fighter pilots and airline pilots forever since people started flying airplanes 
is a simple checklist. No matter how many times you're going to fire up this aircraft, you need to go down this checklist and make sure you don't miss anything. Yeah, I mean, in law, we have the same thing. We make sure we have checklists for every closing of a deal, um, for every starting of a company, because it's it's not that you you don't know about that stuff. It's just that when you do it over and over, it's easy to skip a step. Yeah, and, and it, you'd think that they that people in really responsible positions would not skip a step. And if they skip a step, how much easier it is going to be for us to skip one who are new at this whole idea of investing? No, but that's not that's not that's not how we work as humans. When you do something over and over, it becomes rote, and you easily think that because you did it the last time, it kind of transfers into your brain that you did it this time. And that's why airline pilots have those checklists, because it can get confusing from flight to flight, or it can get, it can get confusing from deal to deal, or it can get confusing from surgery to surgery. Ah, that's a good point. Because like, sometimes when I'm doing speeches where I'll do a couple speeches in a row in, in one day, I can't remember if I did this one part of the speech exactly. or not, you know? Exactly, exactly. I mean, we've all, you know, sometimes you leave the house and you go, wait a second, did I put on deodorant? I know I did yesterday. Was that today or right. was that yesterday? Right. You know? <laughs> well, we may not need a deodorant, you know, checklist. It's the deodorant test. <laughs> because it might not be life-threatening to not wear deodorant. But in, in areas where it's really going to affect your life, you might want to actually do this stuff. It's like, so I've taken some notes from... Gawande's book on what a great checklist is all about. And the basics of, of it is that it has to be short. It has to be really short and really simple um, in order to get the results that you want. So, you know, for example, when they're doing a checklist on an aircraft, they say, you know, check your flaps. They don't say push the pedal in, push the other pedal in, make sure you pushed in both pedals. Make sure you looked out at both sides of the aircraft. They don't lay it out in enormous detail. I'm assuming detail. that pedals are what operate the flaps. Is that what you're? Uh, right? Let's see. The flaps are no. Actually, it's the wheel. It's. <laughs> it's been a <laughs> while a since checklist. I flew an aircraft. I need a yeah. I need a checklist. You know. But if, anyway, the point the point is that you don't need to say the actual like mechanism of how to check something. You just go. You're supposed to check it. Right. You're just supposed to check it, and and so. The, the problem for us, of course, as novice investors, is that I'm going to give you a checklist that assumes you know how to move the wheel around to check the flaps. So I'm going to say check the flaps, and then you're going to have to figure out, oh my gosh, what, what was checking the flaps all about? Okay, which is okay, fair enough. Wait, so does this checklist apply to, so we've done a number, we've done three valuation methods, three or four. I gotta look back. We're dropping the, the zombie, I think. Oh, we're dropping the zombie? Yeah, it's too... <laughs> I'm, I've got a lot of feedback. After all the, that. After all that. The zombie is just mean? too... It, it just too... You're just not going to use it. You're just not going to use it. I'm not going to use it. No, you're not going to use it. You might use it, but it's not worth spending a lot of time on, especially right now in this particular podcast. Okay. So, let's... Well, Come back to that later. I feel like I need to look into whether or not I'm going to, I need to like sort of experiment with whether or not I like it. But okay, fine. Good. So does this checklist, is it like individual to a certain valuation method? Or are you saying that this applies to all of them? This applies to 
the three valuation methods that I'm going to recommend strongly to you. Got it. So it applies to the payback time method, it applies to the cap rate method, and it applies to the other method. The sticker. The, the sticker price method. Yep. Mar oh, that's what we called it, the margin of safety. Margin method. of safety, that's yep. Okay, so this checklist applies to the margin of safety, the cap rate, and the other one. What's wrong with me that I can't remember three things Payback in a row? Time. All right, so let's just talk about this checklist and let's see if this can make sense to you. Let's go down it step by step, okay? So understand that the key thing to this checklist for determining the value of a business and whether it's on sale is that the checklist is short enough to not be overwhelming, okay? Yet long enough and inclusive enough to make the main critical points that you have to check. All right, okay. so I'm gonna go down them one step at a time. This is and this is a checklist that you have developed. Yes. So to you, this is not overwhelming. No. But it is adequate to attack all of the salient points. Yes. Okay. Yes, and, and it's a draft. Okay, I like it. Good, okay. good, good. And I would love to have the inputs of the many, 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 many thousands of people who are listening to this podcast and send them all to Danielle, not to me, and <laughs> send them to... What is your what is your address for the podcast? Dad, we share this email address. I'm just the one who checks it. Okay, but you have to check it. So here they come. Piles of I, these. Questions at investedpodcast.com, guys. Questions. Questions. At questions at investedpodcast.com. There you go. So um, fire in your suggestions for this list, remembering that I don't want it to be longer than 11. So if you're going to suggest a change to the list, you have to take something off of it. Okay, obviously, why don't you want it to be longer than 11? Because Atul Gawande told me not to make it longer than 11. Really? It's like in, well, it's in like in Life of Brian, you know, no, it's not Life of Brian, Holy Grail, where those guys have the holy hand grenade they're going to use to kill that rabbit that's tearing up all the knights. And they have the rabbit, and they have the grenade, and the guy says that in the scripture, you must count to three. Because thou shalt not count to two, thou shalt not count to one, thou shalt count to three. And just uh -huh. about the time they're ready to throw it, he goes, and thou shalt not count to four. You know, <laughs> so the idea is there's a certain number here that's perfect. And although Atul Gawande did not actually say the number is 11, I think it is. You know that that movie was making fun of how Everyone counts to three for absolutely no reason. <laughs> well, in grenades... So, I'm not sure you should take your checklist advice from Monty Python. I'm just going to throw it out there. Maybe 12 is okay. But you know what? I'm going to accept it. We're going to go with 11 for now. It's well, a draft. I, always I like it was, that. It's I, a draft. I always thought it had something to do with grenade throwing, though. You know, like when I was in the Army, you stand... When you're learning to throw grenades, you stand in a pit with a sergeant, and he hands you a live grenade... He tells you to pull the pin, you pull it, you're holding onto the handle. He says, let go of the handle, let go of the handle. Now throw the grenade, right? There's a checklist there for these grenades. There you go. If you stood there and said, one, two, three, about then that grenade is likely to blow you and the sergeant all to pieces. So um, I just thought it was kind of funny 
I didn't realize it was a one, two, three joke. It was more like a joke <laughs> on hand grenades. <laughs> I think you di- and like <laughs> different perspective. Five other people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally different perspective on on the holy hand grenade. All right. I want the 11 point checklist. I don't want it to be 12. I don't want it to be 10. I don't want it to be 13. I don't want it to be nine. It, it has to be 11. It has to Give be Give me 11. number one. Yes. Give me number one. Historical growth rate is reasonably consistent. Historical growth rate is reasonably consistent. Yes. I understand that. Okay. Well, shall we go through all of them and then come back? Okay. Or shall we dive in when you have questions? Um, I don't know. Let's let's continue. I'm trying to write them down as you go, and I'm sure everybody else is too. So. Number Historical two is reasonably consistent. Right. Number two, the growth rate you're projecting for the next seven to ten years is reasonably predictable. The growth rate for the next seven to ten years is reasonably predictable. Yeah. Yes, everyone. There's an obvious question here, but I'm holding it. Okay. So okay. Hear the rest of it. Number three. Number the, three. The PE ratio for a bull market sale in ten years is reasonable and historical. The PE ratio for a bull market sale in ten years is. Is that another way of saying when we sell it in ten years? We're going to sell it in ten years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Passive voice indicates uh, us doing something. So yes. the P-E ratio for when I sell it yes. in a bull market in 10 years is what? Reasonable and is historical. Reasonable. Is reasonable and historical. And I realize that's a little bit like saying, are the flaps moving properly? <laughs> You'd have to know something about how flaps move properly when they move properly. I don't understand what those words mean. What does that mean? It's historical. Historical means you shouldn't vastly exceed what the P-E ratio has been in the past. Oh, is reasonable and historically reasonable. Okay, historically reasonable. Number four, are you ready? Ready. The MAR is 15%. The M-A-R-R... The minimum acceptable rate of return. Oh yeah, bonus points. Is is fifteen percent? It is indeed. Yes. Okay. Number five. That one we all knew already. All right. Number five. Find the TTM EPS. That's all you do. You just find it. Yeah, find it. Find. Wait, say that whole thing again. The TTM EPS. T. M E P S. Find the trailing twelve months earnings per share. Dude, yes, <laughs> nice. Number Gosh. six. Okay, number six. Find FCF. Find FCF. Find free cash flow. Find free cash flow. Number seven. Seven. Find owner's cash. Find owner's cash. Yeah. Number eight. Uh, um, I don't know if we learned the difference between those things. All right, we can go back I to I feel it. like we did, but we didn't talk about it a lot. Okay, but again, we're assuming you're, when you're looking at the flaps, you know what you're looking at. All right, number eight. Calculate 
MOS, comma, PBT, comma, and cap rate. Those are the three that I couldn't remember. <laughs> yes, they Calculate are. Calculate margin of safety, the payback time, and the cap rate valuation methods. Right on. Number nine, two out of three are on sale. I do not understand. You that. have a look on your face like that's bad English. Means two of those things are showing that the company is on sale. So, for example. Oh, two out of three of those valuation methods. Yeah. So, for example, you could have the margin of safety and the cap rate both show it's on sale. Or you could have margin of safety and payback time both show it's on sale, but the cap rate doesn't show it's on sale. Okay. Got it. Number 10. A trusted guru is buying the business. Oh, my. Okay. Number 10. A trusted guru is buying the business. And number 11, and thou shalt only have 11, there's an obvious event with a one to three year future duration that created fear. Whoa, okay. There's an obvious event of one to three year duration that created fear? There, let me repeat, there's a keyword you missed. There's an obvious event with a one to three year future duration. Future duration. That's created fear. That's created fear. There you go. Those are the 11. Where There's would you like to start? There's an obvious event of a one to three year future duration that has created fear. Right okay. On. So um, where shall we begin? Well, the obvious question from the beginning is from the first couple where you say the historical growth rate is reasonably consistent, the growth rate for seven to 10 years is reasonable, blah, blah, blah. You keep saying things are reasonable. So that's something that's a judgment call, right? Yeah, so you're looking at your flaps and you have to know that they're working well. They don't have to be working magnificently perfectly, but they have to be working well, right? So that's what you have to understand and learn about and figure out down the road. So let me just go through the first three or four of these, kind of just give you a sense of them, okay? Yeah, so, yeah. First, like, yeah. First two, maybe? So the first yeah. one is all about looking out the back window of the car to see if you're looking at a reasonably predictable business. Because as a novice investor, it's very difficult for us to figure out what a business is worth if it hasn't had a long enough history to become consistent in its earnings and its, yeah. and its growth. Okay, so we're going to look out the back window of the car and see that it's pretty consistent. The second thing is, and then we got to figure out, well, consistent what? Well, a consistent growth rate of whatever it is. It might be 4% a year, it might be 20% a year, but whatever it's been, we want to see that the business is well run and has a big moat in it, which makes it consistent. In other words, I'm, I'm just kind of skipping over the moat part of this because there's another checklist for that. But the the key is consistency when we're looking for a growth rate. And if you don't have a consistent business, you have something that just is bouncing all over the place, a kind of General Motors in 1990s. You know, you just have too much danger there. So uh, for us, just the little guy, you want consistency. 
If you want to look at what consistency looks like historically, go look at Chipotle Mexican Grill from, you know, the first 10 years of its existence or something. It's just phenomenally. Same thing with Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, You're looking for a constant rise, yeah, right? Right. Constant rise. No crazy ups, no crazy downs, pretty much a constant rise. Right. And on the website, we have a tool that we call a charting, a, a growth rate chart tool. And it shows this, it, it shows the constant rise in graphics. And you can see very quickly if the rise is consistent across the big four growth rates or whether it's bouncing all over the place. And we don't want bouncing all over the place. We want consistent. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Second thing, growth rate for the next seven to 10 years is reasonably predictable. So now you got to remember that if we could buy businesses based on what they were doing, um, as Warren Buffett says, then all librarians would be rich. You just have to go to the library, look up the numbers and buy businesses and get rich. But it, we're not going to get paid for the cash flow the business already had in the past. We're only going to get paid for the cash flow that the business will have in the future. And so we have to have a pretty good idea about what that cash flow is going to look like. And that means we need it to be predictable. We, that's again, the point of a big moat business is that it can create predictable cash flow and it has a durable competitive advantage. So the cash flow should continue way into the future. But you're, what you're looking for here is that you can predict the growth rate with a lot of confidence because you know the industry is going to be around a long time. It's not going to get blown away by some technology change. It's just consistent. You know, they don't have to do anything magic to, to make for a good business. So you want to look out seven to 10 years and see if you can reasonably predict that this business will be growing along at a certain rate for that long time. I guess I don't understand the difference between number one and number two, because number two is generally indicated by having a consistent historical growth rate. Well, number two is indicated that way, but number two requires that you look out the front window of the car into the future's fog. And that is a very different thing than just assuming that because the past is a certain growth rate of, let's say, 12%, that the future will have that as well. We, it's not an unreasonable assumption to say that it will, but number two requires that you reasonably be able to predict that future, not just because of what happened in the past, but because of what's going on in this industry, the moat of the company, the management of the company, your understanding of this thing. It's a future. It's okay, a forward so, so number one is strictly looking at historical numbers. Number two is taking that growth rate from the past and putting it in context of the industry, its management, its moat, what's going on with this company, and essentially making a pure judgment call about what you think is going to happen for the future. Exactly. And we want that judgment call to be really brain dead simple, right? I mean, it's... <laughs> You, you want to look at this thing and go, this is really obvious, right? I mean, this is, we want you to jump over a six inch bar here, not try to jump over a four foot bar. We're, we need something just really easy. And that's requires a lot of patience. It requires a lot of discipline to not jump too soon. Um, and just to trust that eventually if you learn how to do this and you wait, that this six inch bar opportunity will absolutely come along to you in the market. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So those two are kind of the, uh, the first one's obvious, but the second one really encapsulates a lot of 
information that we've learned. It does. And there's a checklist for that that I'm not covering right now. Yeah, no, that's what that's exactly what I'm thinking is developing my own checklist for that. It sounds like you have one, too. But um, but there's a lot. There's just a lot of work that goes into that number two. Oh, one. for sure. For sure. Right. All right. Next, number three, the price earnings ratio or what we would call the multiple of earnings that you're going to use to determine uh, the value of the business is going to be set by an assumption that it's that we're going to be in a good market. It's not a depression. It's not a recession. It's not, you know, the, you know, fire sale market because we own this business for a long, long time, right? We don't have to mm -hmm. sell it in a bad market. We're going to sell it in a good market. So we're going to project the value of so this business. So we're assuming that we're going to sell it in a good market. Right, right, right. Um, and we're going to we're going to make a multiple of earnings that's reasonable and not over the top of, of historical PE ratios for this company. So this is a checkbox that says, um, just double check that this is a reasonable PE ratio and that it doesn't exceed historical ra ratios because there, there'll be a reason why history didn't put on a ratio bigger than 20 or, or 15, whatever, okay. you know, depending on the industry. Okay, good? Yeah, yeah, so, uh, we're assuming the part that I had a question about was the bull market part. And we're just going to assume that because we don't have to sell. Right. That we are going to wait. And, and, and because we assume we have the time that we're going to wait for a good market. Right. And we'll assume one more thing. Okay. That we're really not going to sell this thing. We're, we really want to buy it forever if we can. But... You know, should we need should we need to sell this in order to let's say take our money and put it in a better investment that's going to grow a yeah. lot faster, right? We could do it. This is a way of pricing the business. That's a reasonably good way to price a business, um, and it makes some assumptions that we are going to sell in year ten. But ideally, this business, you know, we end up with a basis of zero and the thing's throwing off forty percent a year in cash flow. We're not going to sell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, those, those are good. Um, let's talk about the other ones next time. So good. We'll, we'll pick up um, number four, which is the minimum acceptable rate of return is 15%. We need to talk about why that is the way that is, because that number is how we're going to figure out the margin of safety price. Yeah. Yep. So, okay, yeah. next time we'll dive into that. Yeah, and I wanted to just mention um, before we go that we had talked a few times ago about reading regularly annual reports and getting to read 20 annual reports by the end of the month. And, uh, and I'm on it. So who else is on it? Are you guys doing it? Email me questions at investedpodcast.com. But I wanted to mention dad that if you, we had talked a few podcasts ago about um, reading annual reports and I'm going to read 20 annual reports by the end of the month. And I wanted to see who else is doing it with me. So email me, questions at investedpodcast.com. I want to hear about who's doing it. I want to hear how it's going. I want to hear how terrible it is. I want to hear how boring it is because <laughs> I'm with you guys. And um, and I, and it's it's this checklist is really apropos. I'm really glad that you came out, came out with it right now because I think it um, can help me as I read through the reports as well. Well, for all of you who are struggling with this notion of reading 20 of these, just keep in mind, 
that you're going to read a bunch of these. You'll get used to it. And all you really have to do is find 20 great companies that you can buy on sale in your lifetime and you're done. You will be very wealthy. And that's not coming from me. That's directly from the master, Warren Buffett, who said the best way to think about investing is you just get a little card with 20 punch holes in it. And when you've hit number 20, you're done. So it, it's work, but it's not work that goes on endlessly. You'll find your 20 and that's it. You're finished. So, it, it does get easier. It really does get easier. It does Let's get easier. Let's just get through this part. <laughs> <laughs> well, until then, I guess it's time to go play. See you guys. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you got to do is enter the special podcast code STOCKPILE, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, STOCKPILE, into the application form, and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion, and it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.